You are listening to the Glass Cannon Network, the premier source for role-playing game entertainment. Previously on the Glass Cannon Podcast. And the first such game is a tug of war, which traditionally pits the Hope Knife receiver, in this case Ruby, against Trinau's best defenders. I am playing as a Baron, who is a, a wandering vigilante. Sergeant Lork Iron Tusk. Lork. <laughs> Lork. Sort of an aging ranger in the militia. Uh, my character's a human witch. Her name is Gormley Call. Gormley? Gormley. My character's name is uh, Galabras Finn. And then he was sold to, like, a traveling merchant who, like, carried him, carted him, like, halfway across the continent to the town of Trunau. It seems as if you are the only ones that have the potential to stop this growing threat. If this storm tyrant, Volstice, is gathering an army of giants in some hidden valley... We are all doomed. Is it uh, a human body? You see a humanoid young female who appears to be trapped within the tree. Della. Della Reese? What's her last name? <laughs> Not Della Reese. Della Narn. Della Narn. Giant dragonflies, shadow rat swarms. I get that. <laughs> but a translucent teenager? I'm out. <laughs> My name is Nesta Coyne. Coin by name, coin by nature, as my old dad used to say. I am Sir Willamette Keswick, <laughs> son of Emmett Keswick, Earl of Highbury. Oh, I, uh, I am sorry. I, I hope my ramblings didn't disturb you. My uh, memory isn't quite what it was. I've forgotten to introduce myself at all. Uh, my name is Pembroke. Pembroke? Yes, just Pembroke. Well met, my friend. I am Orphas Norkim. I seek unimaginable power. Allow myself to introduce myself. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> I am Fereza Alcid. Hello, my friend. One by one, she addresses the infants. You are the one who shall walk through time. I call you Farzadir. You are the one who watches over time. I call you Pudir. <laughs> and you are the one who shall master time. I call you Brandir. Oh. 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 I should probably introduce myself. <laughs> oh, yes. Don't be alarmed. I didn't want to interrupt. <laughs> My name's Rasmataz. And, uh, oh boy. This is, this is a real unique opportunity. I just, uh, I don't often get to talk to people that don't kill their victims and dip their hats in their blood and wear them on their heads. So this is nice. This is really nice. You were Briella 20 years ago. You nursed my unit back to health. All these years I wondered if you would ever come back. And here you are, now. Not 20 years too late. 20 days too late. She is gone, and now you will never meet her. Who? Your daughter! What? What is her name? Her name is Shael. What should we name him? <laughs> the mother smiles and says, Silvermane. <laughs> <laughs> 
The sparkling blue eyes of the infant open for the first time to look up at them both. And somewhere, deep, deep behind those eyes, Lork's eyes open as well. Oh, oh my God. And, uh, you know, you scan your eyes across the room, and like I said, you see mostly dwarves, except towards the back is a hulking figure of a man. Pembroke ambles up with his cane. And I'm sorry, I, I was told that your name is, and he says the word for uh, four bears. You have nothing to fear if you are foe to the giants. You find no friend of the giants here. You might know me already as, as Dolgreath Deathbringer. Perhaps you've heard that name. <laughs> I've never met you before, but I feel as if our fates are intertwined. It is seen. My name is Adriel Ashpeak. Oh! What? 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 My name is Jim Hardy. I have been sent by Shandley Finstock of the Finstock Mercantile Concern, and I have come to retrieve the remains of the boy. We, we move through the crowd into the middle and see a woman clad in mostly rags with white, almost translucent skin. Where's my daughter? Brander, you must know, has spent all of his time twisting the wheels of fate in his favor. The biggest one among them is holding your adopted son by his hair on his knees in front of him, and he slits his throat, and Gormley falls. Oh, God. Her back snaps in half, and she dies. Reaches out, stabs Ingrahild with his first attack. Ingrahild is permanently dead. Uh, Umlo permanently dies. Permanently dies. He is at negative 30. Della takes 55 points of damage and is permanently dead. Oh my god. He grips Della's lifeless body in his claws. Goodbye for now. And flies out of the cathedral. Oh my god! He turns, looks at Pembroke, and then the scythe cuts him down. Permadead. Permadead. 159 points. Oh, Jesus fucking Christ. Plus four Sonic. (laughs) (laughs) You're such a dick. 34 points of fire damage. Yeah, uh, Pembroke is reduced to ash and bone. He's gone. (gasps) Ah, that is the most damage I've ever seen rolled on 8d6. Peraza. Is dead. Oh my god. You see Dalgrith get up there and you see her wallop him with the chain. His poison courses through his veins. He falls slow motion, hits the ground, and dies. Your skin is completely torn what? from your body as it just. What? what? <laughs> Tightly. His grip loosens and he dies. Your oracle friend sacrificed himself <gasps> to keep me safe from Volstice's ever vigilant eyes. Your time in this world ends here! All enemies of the Storm Tyrant shall perish! 
I am the law, and the law can't be killed. It has not entered his imagination that some of the very pawns he discarded have re-entered the game. Just then, rising up from down below is Galabras Finn. <laughs> what? Shia's still on the ground just looking up at us. What? What are you? He is the chosen one. <gasps> A great storm is coming, but the tide has turned. We go in search of our dear companion. We called her Gormley. We hear the sound of footsteps and see torchlight casting flickering shadows on the walls. Walls that are covered from floor to ceiling in pictographs and hieroglyphs. And walking down the hallway, we see Silvertusk. To his left is Galabras. And floating just above the ground to his right is Gormley. This is why I needed you, for I, <laughs> I cannot defeat Volstus. The only chance of that happening is your friends. But should they succeed, well, then I'll have what I need. I realize that mastering time isn't rewriting it to fix history's greatest errors. It's ending it <laughs> completely. Jimmer Hardy wakes, sitting before him on what may have once been a small pew, is Brander. He says you, I believe, are going to hold a rather auspicious role in my final journey. The time has come! <laughs> All of your battles will pale in comparison to this! My reign has just begun, and your blood march ends now! I will distract him with what little strength I have left! God himself has chosen us this day! And this is for Pembroke and Ferrara! You offered us no room in your world to exist. Well, I offer you none in mine! <laughs> oh, shit! You line up that shot. <laughs> and we see in slow motion the bullet exit your muzzle and fly towards Volstice, and it hits him right between the eyes. <laughs> And he falls. Yes! Yes! All of a sudden, all of you hear the loudest single explosion you've ever heard. And the entire castle, even though you're not standing on it, shakes. And it starts to go down. Oh, my God. The orb of Dragonkind lands on the ground. And then we just see Brander. And Brander just looks up at the sky. This will all be over soon. The adventure ends now. What's up, everyone? It's your old buddy, Troy LaValle, coming to you with the final intro. 
Remember when we did these every week? I had a two-second thought earlier today that maybe I'd skip doing an intro and just let the ep speak for itself. But then I thought of the intro to episode 100 and 200 and how I still get emails to this day about how much those messages meant so much to so many people. So obviously, I had to do one for this auspicious occasion. But what the hell can I say in this intro that hasn't already been said? When I think about what this seven-year endeavor has done to my life, to all of our lives. I can't help but think about how so many others will go on this adventure with us for years and years to come as more and more people discover the GCP. What seems so fresh to us now at the end will eventually feel like a memory, like so many of those early apps do now to all of us. But years and years from now, people can still come upon this adventure and take it with us, and it will feel new to them. And if a message I put into an intro hit home for a bunch of people years ago, then hopefully those messages will continue to resonate with people for years and years and years to come. So then I think about my children, children that I didn't have when we recorded episode one, and how maybe someday they'll listen to all 326 of these. So Archer and Dash, if you're listening, And any other little ones who may come along to the LaValle brood in years to come, this intro today, this message is for you. Hey, it's Dad. What's going on? I'm sure you know by now that your dad worked very hard for a long time to try and make it in the entertainment business. Can you believe it wasn't until this podcast that I was finally able to make an inroad? Now, the journey to get here was brutal. There were a lot of years where I had literally no money. I didn't know where my next meal was going to come from. And there was a good chunk of time where I wasn't even sure where I was going to sleep either. Things were really hard. But I kept pushing. I kept trying to follow my dreams, as cliche as that sounds. I worked horrible jobs to barely make ends meet, and then I bartended 14-hour shifts, getting home at 5 in the morning only to sleep a few hours, get up and do it all over again. And though I had options to perhaps make my life easier by settling for well-paying but soul-sucking jobs, I never settled for anything less than what I wanted, even if that meant suffering. Now, while I don't recommend you or anyone needs to take a path like that, it's important to me that you know how significant This podcast has been to the story of my life. Of course, by the time you're listening to this, I imagine I'll have accomplished stuff that even while I'm recording this message, I could have never dreamed of. If you asked me seven years ago if I thought I'd be here, I'd have laughed. So who knows what other crazy things will happen in the next seven. Maybe I'll finally get the the TV show I always wanted or a lead role in a major motion picture. I used to think for a long, long time that getting those were the be-all end all of my existence. But those things don't matter to me like they once did, because all I ever really wanted to do in my life, if I distill it down to the absolute essence of what I really, really wanted to do, I wanted to entertain people. I wanted to make people laugh and and hopefully inspire them in some small way as well. And this podcast has allowed me the chance to do those things a thousand times over. And hopefully, it has continued to do so for a long time. But no matter what I do in life, as I'm sure you know, you boys and any brothers and sisters that may come along will always be my favorite creation. 
And I hope you'll always follow your hearts and do what makes you happy, even if it's hard, especially if it's hard. Actually, while I'm recording this right now, I'm <laughs> I'm looking out the window and you guys are just playing in the yard together. Three, almost four, one, almost one and a half. And uh, you're just playing in the yard together. No matter how hard life gets, never stop playing. I never did. And things are pretty damn good because of it. Your daddy loves you. And I hope you enjoyed this adventure as much as so many others who have listened to it and as much as we did creating it. To Joe and Skid and Matthew and Grant, thank you for sticking by me, for offering so much of yourselves and your lives to this endeavor and for putting up with my insanity, knowing that it comes from a place of unrelenting desire to leave a mark upon this world. And to all of you out there in the nation, even the ones I may have turned off over the years with my outspoken, irreverent way of just being me, thank you. Knowing that our stories have impacted you in any way are my dreams made manifest. And finally, to my amazing wife, Samantha, Sam, if you ever creep in on this intro, you little creep, uh, you know I love you more than anything in the world. And uh, I don't know if the Nash knows that there is no Glass Cannon podcast. There is no Glass Cannon network without you your support since day one without even fully understanding what the hell it is we do when we close the doors and roll dice and put on headphones. Your support has been beyond uh, anything I could have ever asked for. Thank you for all of your sacrifices to making this happen. The march to the end has finished and we have reached the end of the road. So please enjoy the final episode of our Giant Slayer adventure, the first of many adventures of the Glass Cannon podcast. Episode 326, A Couple Things Happened. Can you imagine how long the Storm Tyrant's penis must have been? (laughs) We could check right now. <laughs> yeah, that was our chance. How tall is a storm giant? Are they pretty tall? 17 feet? No. 20, 20 feet tall. Right? 20 Taller feet tall. Yeah. So, like, even if he was underserved down there, <laughs> it's got to be a foot and a half. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to this episode. Yeah, folks. it's exactly. too bad. If you expected anything different... <laughs> Don't know why you're still here. It's too bad we stopped casting these parts. <laughs> we had to cast a separate actor have some Milton, just to play his cock. Just, just, hey, Mil- just Milton Berle. We just have Milton Berle. <laughs> I just looked up how how tall a Tyrannosaurus Rex was, hmm. and uh, the Storm Tyrant would be taller than a Tyrannosaurus Rex. Get out of here! But what wow. if the Tyrannosaurus Rex needs to get like cookies on the top shelf and gets on its tippy toes? They're kind of like hunched forward, man. Yeah. Question: well, Did they ever find a fossilized dick? I believe giants didn't have penis. No, the dinosaur. Oh, dinosaurs. I don't believe. That's what I meant to say. I don't believe the dinosaurs. You don't believe penis. in dinosaurs? You heard it here first, <laughs> folks. Matthew's more of a Genesis guy. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna say a fun word for everyone to go Google because I think dinosaurs had cloacas. Oh, oh okay. you know hyenas have cloacas. Do they really? Yeah, yeah. and then they often rupture while they give birth. Wait. <laughs> I didn't know this. Dinosaurs. That's why out. they laugh. They, they have to laugh. Out. Oh, they'll cry. <laughs> <laughs> Never going to see a hyena in the same way again. <laughs> so that's why. Do you know that have to. <laughs> Wikipedia redirected me to pseudo penis. Yeah. Yeah. Or like a cloaca is so much more than a suit. Yes, I know. <laughs> Seven years, and we barely talked about the size of these giants. I know. <laughs> it held off for far too long. You you did have you had a creature once urinate on Baron's face. That was the closest to actually describing Jeez. a penis. Did I do that? You, you also had that? a running joke about Renfall's massive phallus. Yeah. No, Renfall had said that the he was talking the, about the, the cloud storm giant tyrant's massive. Because <laughs> you're like, what does he do when he showers? Right, he hangs that? it from his massive. Massive oh, so we talked about this before. This yeah. is we're just retreading old ground. No, but I want this is a, a clip show. I want a real ballpark figure of how long this thing is, <laughs> let alone the thickness. Whole <laughs> <laughs> separate issue. Oh. Is it like a Chevy tire? <laughs> Wait, in terms of thickness, like that big oh, around? That. I don't know. Well, I want to start on a light note today. Because <laughs> I imagine my intro into this will be really heavy, so I wanted to uh, go straight into uh, toilet humor. Because um, that's where we began. We began in the toilet. What were the early... There wasn't... Uh, I, did we go right for the toilet? Like, right out of the gate, or were we, like, nervous to go to toilet? We got blue pretty fast. I have a vivid memory. Mm-hmm. On that first day of recording, I think it was the first day of recording. If it wasn't the first day, it was the second day of Troy singing a song he improvised on the spot that went something to the effect of penis jokes for all my friends. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, really? That was day one? That was in the top first 10 eps, I think. think Penis jokes for all my friends. (laughs) (laughs) I think there was a second second layer. It was like, what we do while we're playing Pathfinder. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's this old thing in like stand up comedy is like sometimes uh, acts will get bluer. Later in the yeah. show, um, you know, once they know they got you, then like the last 10 minutes will be sex and stuff like that. Um, but then there's another school that's like, if you feel confident in your material, start blue. And then you're, you're you got the balls to start blue. So that's why I got the balls to start. You blue got too. the balls to start blue. We haven't even talked about his balls. Oh, God. Anyways, let's get off giant penises. <laughs> you first. All right. Yeah. <laughs> well, wait, did he end up ever choosing uh, a suitor or stringing anybody along? Like, did he have a romantic Nalbia. relationship with Nalbia? I don't think they, in my mind. Or was she just worshiping him and that's as far as it got? In, I think the way it's written is like she's hoping that she can seduce him. Mm. Um, but they weren't betrothed. They were not betrothed. In fact, he is just, he's, he's a real workaholic. He was so focused. <laughs> he's married on, to his work. To, yeah, he's married to his work. So focused on his work. But in her mind, she felt like if she could just uh, prove her worth to him, um, she, he, would, he would take a shine to her. Uh, she got a lot better shot than uh, Grenzeldeck. That's yeah, for sure. So that's she sure. betrayed her brother and just let him die. Mm-hmm. She's not even like, there's not even like an inkling of a romance. Who will write her tragedy, Matthew? Matthew. Matthew. Matthew yeah. 
the tragedy of Nalbia, the first. Hard pass. <laughs> Hard pass. Did she, did she fall to, uh, she plummet to the earth below? Where did her body end up? Um, it's, it's still falling slowly as the magic dies. Uh, but at a certain point, that magic will die, and she'll just keep going. <laughs> Splat! <laughs> I just got to get so much stuff, giant stuff, smashing through the roofs of cottages. Yeah. Like, all, all over this part of Galarian. Yeah, if people didn't know where the castle was, it's just follow the route of destroyed orphanages. Why do you think Every <laughs> single orphanage along the way has been pummeled by... Debris falling from the castle. Why do you think we dropped Dogby's body off the side of the castle? Yeah. yeah. Oh, come on. <laughs> He's still there. He's how, fine. How he wanted to go. He's gently reposing. Who cast gentle repose? No one. He's rotting in the engine room. And it's hot in there and it smells, Joe. It's yeah. humid. It is. You were like, let's take him to the hottest room in the building. <laughs> That's still my favorite. <laughs> Joe turned to me with like genuine uh, gratitude after everyone just shat on Dalgrith for like 10 minutes. He and then I gave died. a little speech and Joe was just like, thank you so much, Grant. Yeah. <laughs> it just shows classiness as a person. Like, <laughs> Well, I'm sure with everything that's going on right now, you guys can be like, hold on, hold on. We got to grab the bodies. Uh, unfortunately, the throwing him off the castle probably would have been a, a far better death than the, or a far better consecration of his body than what's going to happen to it now. Uh, it's a far, far better thing I do than I remember the rest of the quote, but you know what I'm talking about. Then throw him off. How's everybody feeling today? This is the last time we're going to do this. Don't know if you were aware. Uh, this is the finale of our Giant Slayer adventure. What? Last week, we talked about different emotions going in. Uh, how th- This is actually it. This is it. After we're done, there's no, we'll see you next week. Now, we'll be back with more content. That's for sure. More content everybody should be really excited about. But the Giant Slayer adventure ends today for us. We have we have we've been taking bets on how long this episode is going to go. <laughs> Everyone took the over. Everyone took the over. What was the uh, line? The line started, I believe, at four and a half hours. It opened at four and a half. <laughs> it opened at four and a half. Matthew immediately uh, took the over. Well, that's smart. You want to get the over. Then I over. talked to you, and you were like, "No way! Like it's not going to break out that way. It's going to be sort of just endings in that last episode." Mm-hmm. And this is like. Many weeks before we recorded even the anti-penultimate episode. Mm-hmm. So I went back on Cannon Fodder when Skid was on, and I lowered it to three and a half hours. Oh, man. So Skid took the over. So Vegas I, must have been going crazy. Yeah. yeah. So then I was like, all right. Yeah, maybe. Why am I listening to Troy? I get the same trap every time. So then Grant was on Fodder, and I raised it to five and a half. Wow. I was way under that, right? I think you took the over. I took the over? You might have taken the over. I don't think I would have. No. I'll go back to the tape. I don't remember. So now the, la- the line's at five and a half? The line is sitting now at five and a half. And it from, closed at five and a half? And from what you have said over the last two hours of shitting yourself with nerves before starting this episode, uh, I really think the over is going to hit. So smash that over, I, everybody. I, I don't. As a Dallas Cowboys fan, it's stupid people who bet on the over because of past results. I don't think we'll go over five and a half hours. No there way. Is never it's soulless been. people that bet on the under. Soulless? That is a fact. Yes, it's yes. true. Really? Gamblers don't like underbetters. It's like betting on the no-pass line. It's not done. Well, in 326 episodes, a hundred and some odd episodes for Androids and Aliens, all the live shows we've done, all the streams, mm-hmm. Troy has never come in at under his estimate. <laughs> never once. Never once. True. 
So, but I don't have an estimate today. You kept asking me, you're like, what's the estimate? Because I'll add three hours to that. You told me how many pages of notes you have. I do have a lot of pages of notes. <laughs> I have 55 pages of notes. <laughs> That's so profound. I had 53 before I got in here a couple hours ago. But I just 55 kept... pages mm-hmm. is the length of a finished, edited, and published <laughs> well, it's a little bit of adventure path chapter. <laughs> some parts of it just little smiley faces to keep me happy halfway through, and some drawings. Uh, there's a lot of stuff here, um, and there might be stuff that I don't even use. I just I wanted to be prepared, and I wanted to make sure that I I kind of touched on everything that I wanted to touch on, and made sure that I gave you guys the opportunity to touch on that. So yeah, there are a lot of notes, but you never know; they could go fast. The funny thing is that listeners in the future already know how long this episode. Yeah, is. they see it like, we right on the yeah. But we have no idea. We had to cancel. We basically canceled our dinner reservation. Yeah, we had a dinner. Yeah. We were all going to go out to dinner together. We already canceled it. We didn't mm-hmm. cancel. It's not going to happen. All Never the restaurants happen. we wanted to go to are closed on a Monday, so we can't go to those. But I think when this wraps up in seven or eight hours, we might be hungry, and we're like, you know what? <laughs> Kids are already asleep. Let's go. Well, at that point, it's going to be Tuesday and the restaurants will be. Wait, let's get some Taco Bell. Late night menu. We never got the grandma pie. We were going to get a grandma pie. We're going to order a grandma pie mid up. I I may have it be part of the episode. That would, you'll just hear yeah. like the dial tone ring. <laughs> <laughs> Text Nick, tell him to go pick it up and deliver yeah, it. Over here. He would yes. drop everything. He would. That was fun. What was it? It was, uh, we were doing. Uh, Androids and Aliens at one time we, he brought us some beer or something and he just oh, yeah. popped pop by for the end of the episode that was yeah. awesome <laughs> it was like the wacky neighbors like Kramer like coming in it was, it was awesome KJ Jazzy Jeff showed up yeah. when I was in high school I was doing a play and I died at the end of the first act so I then during intermission ordered a pizza came out I had to come on as like a, a for the dream ballet in the second act the very beginning of the second act who could forget the dream ballet and then I, <laughs> and it was I had, figured, I had tested out the time. <laughs> he glossed over that one fast. <laughs> I, tested out the I don't know why he said it. It was West, it was West Side Story. The Dream Ballet is a thing. Oh. <laughs> he could have said anything. It was the Dream Ballet. Oh. So I ordered the pizza. Did the, the Spandau Ballet happen as well? Or just? <laughs> ordered the pizza intermission, went and did the Dream Ballet, got off from the Dream Ballet, pizza arrived, and I spent the rest of the second act eating that pizza, and it was the best theatrical experience. <laughs> That's amazing. That does sound pretty I good. I love having long, like, offstage times, yeah. like, in shows like that. It's the best. <laughs> Everyone else had to I was do, doing like, a all show. drama. I was doing a show in Denver, like, right before I moved here, and I brought my PlayStation 2, like, into the thing, because I, I had, like, an hour and a half, like, between scenes. And so, for and it was a huge show. So, yeah, we were playing through... Uh, Onimusha, I think, like backstage, oh, like while game. we were playing it in shifts. It was it was awesome. It was so great. Do you know when we started this show seven over seven years ago for us? Uh, only one of us was married. Yes, <laughs> yes, only really, Grant. yeah, only Grant. Oh, I was yeah. married was first. Married. Yeah, yeah, you wow. were Matthew, Joe, wow. and I were all engaged and wow. all got married in 2015. Right? Yeah, that year. Yeah, and I know that yeah. because Matthew was talking about writing his vows, and I didn't even know you that well because I, you weren't even uh, invited to my wedding. But we had become so friendly over that year, I did ask you to watch my cats. <laughs> <laughs> I trusted you to watch my cats. I did watch, I did watch your cats. Uh, but like we had all, uh, I, I really just, I'd only hung out with Grant one time yep. before the first recording, uh, and you maybe twice, and that was all at Joe's house during like football we, parties. We had hung out a bunch of times because we played. Pathfinder Society, too. Yeah, but you only stood out to Troy twice. That's how unremarkable you are, is what he's saying. <laughs> right. I, we watched, you weren't super memorable, so it felt like twice. As, as yeah. I pointed out at a recent live show, we mm. watched the Giants win a Super Bowl together, and we were the only Giants fans in the room. Thinking of that, the last thing I'll think about is your presence at that party. My yeah. team had just won the Super Bowl. 
Were not, you not, one of the people that dumped Gatorade I, I, on me? I believe it's your team collectively, <laughs> the both of you. Why is it just your team? Oh, that's Roy? true. We were rooting for the same team. That's upset. We were the only two Giants fans in the room. We might have even hugged. We might have. <laughs> Shocking. Let's look at the tape. That's, <laughs> was that on Instagram? That's what that's going to be, just looking back at memories. Um, but yeah, we were, only Grant was married, and now there are multiple marriages and multiple children. Multiple children. Don't you love that in the credits of video games in particular, but movies have it too. They have all the like babies that were born during the yeah, course production of the night. Babies. Production babies. Yeah. And despite the clamoring for it by the then unnamed Nash, mm-hmm. six plus years. Not a single one of our spouses or significant others has ever gotten on a mic on this podcast <laughs> about true. anything Pathfinder related. <laughs> and most of uh, our spouses and significant others have never touched a role-playing game. Mm-hmm. Or listened to the show. Or, or listened yeah. to an episode of the show. For the past week, I've been trying to communicate to my wife the meaning behind it. <laughs> And every time I tell her, I know she has no idea how significant this is. <laughs> and not only like our collective life, but like my life up until this point, this is like something I'm actually going to complete. And I don't think it's, it's quite landed on her. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's a real bummer. It's a real bummer. It never will. Speaking of people that have no idea what happens on the show, is my mom the only family member or loved one that's made an actual appearance on the show? Multiple appearances. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Mary Berger is a saint, Mom. I love it. In person and telephonic. Yeah. Yeah. Multiple appearances. Yeah. Yeah. My sister, uh, uh, my, well, two of my sisters already listen. My last sing, my sister in in New York, she finally did start listening. She's on episode 87 or something now. Wow. She's, she's really enjoying it. Well, don't tell her that we're ending the show. I know. (laughs) It's like, why bother continuing? It's going to be over. (laughs) Spoiler alert. It ends. And it's uh, not we're not ending the show, right? We're just ending this story. Ending the story. This story. Another story is starting next week. <laughs> yeah. 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 If you're listening to this and wondering what the hell is going to happen uh, in two nights on, it's May 19th, right? Yeah. In two nights. Thursday, May 19th, 8 p.m. Eastern, live on Twitch, but we'll release it later here on the feed. We're going to do like a goodbye party where we're going to talk about everything. You know, I, I can't imagine we'll rehash too much of what we're talking about right now, but we're going to go through the whole story and, and talk about our memories and whatnot. It's going to be real fun. If you go too far over the uh, time. People are still not going to be able to physically finish it unless they listen to it on two times speed. That's true. That if happens. this is a 49 hour episode, <laughs> they're really screwed. You're going to have to listen to it quickly in order to catch up in time for that goodbye party. Can and I then, make a request for that, 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 that show? Yeah. You said we're going to talk about everything. Yes. Now I'm nervous. Really? Everything was in quotes when I said it. Well, I'm only, I only want an answer to a question you've raised. Okay. Could you call our friends at Paizo mm. and get an actual figure on the size of a storm giant's penis? <laughs> yeah. I could probably get an answer by the end of this app. <laughs> Average. Average. I'll text Mona right now. <laughs> Mona, are you at the office? <laughs> you go around and take a survey. <laughs> Surely they have that information in a binder somewhere. Yeah, yeah sure. <laughs> if no one's asked before, I'd be shocked. Yeah. We'll talk about I, I, Yeah, exactly. Like, I wouldn't be surprised at all if it was like, actually, uh, there was a piece done on this in Dragon Magazine. Uh, in 1998. James Jacobs wrote about this in the back matter. 
Serpent Scroll. Serpent Skull. Number two. Back matter. Who's back matter? The Christ Child's Eyes. Oh, the I still want that to be an AP. I will be on my deathbed, and if I need to smile, I'm going to tell my family members to just whisper the Christ Child's Eyes in my ear. <laughs> uh, so the the goodbye party will be Thursday, and then next week, what happens on my, for my Tuesdays? Well, uh, Monday through Thursday for the next uh, few months, we're going to be releasing our Strange Aeon show right from the beginning when we started in L.A. in 2018. Where and then the next show was at Pax Unplugged in Philly, and then we went to Dallas and Chicago. Like four episodes a week, we're going to drop, and those are like over two hours long. So like if you've got the type of, type of job where you can listen to stuff and never listen to these, you'll have a blast. If you're like I. I cannot listen to 10 hours of new content a week. That's fine too, because eventually we're going to be caught up with our tour and we're going to start releasing new episodes like we did with Sidecast Side Sesh. So we're going to do them uh, as a stream and then release the show. And Skid came up with a great idea. He's like, you need to do a recap for people that don't want to listen to the 38 episodes that are going to come before the new fresh episode. And so we will release that um, in sometime in August before we start. And it'll releasing. get you caught up on Strange yeah. Aeon. It's like one like little recap episodes like you could if you want to start from this point just just listen to this like little short episode it'll walk through the story up to now you can just start from from right. there if yeah. you yeah. and we are in book two right now yeah we're about to end book AP. two and when we start book three we're also switching to pathfinder second edition we've had the writer of book three convert it to second edition so we're making the switch and that's happening really really soon so you're going to get the best of both worlds a little pathfinder one little pathfinder two and a story that we're all in love with that's what's going to happen then but now we got to talk about what's going to happen now. God. I asked you, you guys start talking about other stuff. How are people feeling? I'm feeling mostly excited. Sad? Sure. Nervous? Yup. But mostly excited. I'm excited to tell this story with you guys today. That's where, I, that's where I'm at. I'm also excited to end it. Everything needs to come to its natural end, artistically. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to keep doing something. Until it just fizzles into crap. <laughs> you know, I yeah. definitely want to have an ending. Uh, so I, I am I am excited for that. But I'm nervous about, uh, you know, I, I want to... I said this in a, um, earlier in a, with Skid before you guys got here. Skid and I were here alone. And we were just saying that, like, shirtless. we want to do it as, <laughs> as his tradition. We walked in. Our shirts are on the hook in the back there by the, by the entrance. You're essentially painting each other with chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> with our tongues. Right? Uh, yeah, we were just saying that, like, we want to do well in terms of how yeah. we execute the narratives of these characters that we love so much. We hope that it ends well for them. And if it doesn't, even if it, even if the results are not what we wanted, we still want it to be done well. And that is on us and, and stressful. And um, I can't imagine how stressed you must be. That's what I keep using as comfort. Because I'm like, <laughs> there's no way I could be as miserable or torn up inside as Troy right yeah. now. The yeah. old, it could be worse. Yeah, yep. yeah, exactly. I could be Troy. So I, I take comfort <laughs> in that. Grant, how you feeling? You're, you're an emotional guy, nostalgic guy, I think, like me. How you feeling? I think it feels... Um, unsettling to have one of the primary sources of constancy I've had in my life begin to disappear, even if it is going to continue through a new and exciting path, as you just talked about. 
Um, outside of being married to Angel for all this time, this has been one of the things that I could always count on. I would always know was there. Um, and I turned to to Joe and Skid as I, I was mopping up after their chocolate lovemaking. Sure. Thank um, you for cleaning up. No, no problem. He also does that shirtless. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's part, it's you don't part, get chocolate on your shirt. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm a real pro. But um, I, I, t- I turned to both of them and I was like, I imagine this must be what it would feel like to see like your child get married. You know, like there's, there's, there's good things about that. There's exciting things about that. But it's a passing of a torch. It's something leaving your grasp and becoming its own thing entirely, of course. And I've always been on the side of like, Whatever happens on the show, like it's up to them to decide. It doesn't matter really what our intention was and all this stuff. But like it's just, it's just, it's gone. It used to be in my hands and now it's not. And that is something that takes some time to process. Yeah. The good thing is it'll always be there. I think I was just listening to stuff over the past week to kind of get me back in the zone and, and also remember certain continuity things, wishing that I had like a team like George R. R. Martins to make sure I was getting continuity right. And like it, it's so fun to go back. And I think, I don't know if we'll go back and listen to all 326, but they'll always be there, which is nice. It's not yeah. like, well, we're finishing and we'll just throw out the, the hard copies <laughs> of the final files. Like it's always going to be there. Yeah. It is nice to have, to leave, leave something behind. Like, I don't know how long or how fervently like people will be interested in actually listening to it, but it'll be there. I was, you know? when I was coming in, I did a Instagram live video and I had emailed you guys. I'm like, if you want to go live today, if I think it'd be fun, like time capsule I have. And before I did it, I was sitting in traffic and I brought it up and I saw yours and I had it on mute cause I was driving and I just saw your face and I started to get emotional just looking at your <laughs> face cause I could see it on your face that you were getting emotional. Yeah. Yeah. So how I, was more, I was more emotional that uh, Christos uh, Greek Steakhouse is closed. It's closed. It's <laughs> more about the steak. I, honestly, like it hasn't sunk in. I think I, I just, it's just so like kind of focused on you know whatever goal is ahead, mm-hmm. and I, I, I just, I don't know. Like I, it, it, I don't think it'll sink in until maybe I don't know a week or two from now. Yeah, there's always that delayed response. I think that's normal, Matthew. I think there's a chance Joe, Skid, Grant, and myself uh, well up today at certain points. I think that that's certainly going to happen. As a, as a cold, heartless individual, do you think... As an emotionless husk. Yes, as a, a shell <laughs> of someone that feels the things that most humans feel. Uh, do you think there's a chance that you get emotional today? Uh, apparently not. <laughs> <laughs> You're really priming him for some deep sentiments. Like, no, are you someone that like like watches something like it just it happens uncontrolled? Like, do you get emotional, or are you sure. like, thank God? Are you someone that cares about anything? <laughs> <laughs> do you see meaning anywhere? <laughs> no, I'm excited. I. Like skid, I think I'm. You like skid? I do too. I enjoy skid very much. No, I. I said like skid. Oh, I too think it would be a delayed effect where I'll be like, "Wow, that was weird. That was 326 episodes, and now we're 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 done with that story." Yeah. If God, it's just thinking about when we started. It feels like a million years ago. A million years ago, like seven years. You look at it; doesn't seem that long. But when I think about where I was in my life, you know, and I'm sure you do the same. That seems like a hundred lifetimes ago, especially pre-marriage, pre-kids. Oh, sure. That's obviously, but like, my God, just 
working shit yeah. jobs doing stand-up remember like yeah. coming episodes being like i just had a real bad set no all right yeah. let's go i was like attempting i was like come from my temp job oh, <laughs> it's just so miserable all the time and yeah a hundred lifetimes ago and yep. it was seven years yeah. and i think that also if you just look at it in the perspective of a group playing pathfinder like when we started we were I remember you saying, like, uh, if no one listens to this, I'll listen to this. <laughs> because uh, listening back to your jokes that you make when you play with your friends, like to be able to yeah. record those and listen back to them is awesome. It's such to be a able cool to rec- record to have. Right. Of to a be time able to, in your life. to record a session and listen back to it and know exactly what was said in that moment or exactly what happened to even have a chance at continuity. Because if you did the, had the time to do the work is cool. But then if you think about that, like we never stopped doing this and we never gave up and we're actually finishing it and we will have an entire adventure path. Every session of every minute of every <laughs> session, not one second of gameplay, not recorded. Yeah. Yeah. Is it's cool. Really cool. It's pretty cool. Yeah, 326 episodes, seven years. People have been posting like, have you seen this YouTube uh, clip of these guys been playing the same campaign for 40 years? Like, wow, that's wild. That's pretty impressive. Seven years is a long time, too. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I bet you most of those people don't have recordings of their 40 <laughs> years of their gameplay, you know? Yeah. To be able to look back and know exactly what happened is really fun. I think all of us have said in different ways, uh, Troy mentioning all of us becoming married, a lot of Children have been born on this show. Several postgraduate degrees. Skid. Yeah, right. <laughs> Skid has talked about, uh, you know, no longer needing to go to a job he doesn't like anymore. I think we've all experienced our lives becoming improved through this process, even mm-hmm. though parts of it have been hard getting to know a lot of the listeners who have allowed us to pursue this. And I still look back. I look back at old photos and recordings and, you know, I've since become sober since I started this show and lost 70 pounds and made my life a lot better. And a lot of that was because being on the show with all of you and sharing it, yeah, having other yeah. people listen to it and having the type of um, analytical eye that sometimes you're afraid to give to yourself, that having this audience was a nice way to look forward to be able to say, Kind of hey, a responsibility to them yeah. and and just having that sounding board. So yeah. And, and not wanting to hear, you know, me do anything stupid, like, uh, when another character died on another show. Um, so <laughs> having that experience has been, um, really great in my journey. And I think all of us have stories like that. We all yeah. have stories where we're, we're so happy to have been able to been on the show and to share it with all of you because it's helped us grow as people. Yeah. We're absurdly lucky in a number of ways as a result of this. I remember after the first, live show or making air quotes that we ever did at the geekery hq yeah that we went to that bar afterwards and just like interact it was i think it was the first time i'd interact with listeners and just like people telling us how much it meant to them and what the oh, doyle's pub was it doyle's yeah, pub? i always pinpoint that moment when people ask me when did you know that this was the thing i always say it was, it was that day wild. and it's like wow it was very wild yeah yeah just showing up, Grant and I showed up early. There were people lined up outside. We're like, what the fuck? What do we say to them? Yeah. We, yeah. <laughs> we, we learned that day how to like park like in different places because sometimes you don't want to see folks until it's time for the right. show. Yeah, yeah, it was wild. I, we, I gave Matthew the keys to my car. He forgot the thing. We forgot a thing, like yeah. an amp or something. And then Matthew went and got it. And then he was like, uh, I didn't park. The car is just like outside. And I just like ran out to get in the car to go park it. And all these people were like, 
Joe Brian. <laughs> and I just like turned and I was like, I don't know any of those people. <laughs> this is very weird and scary. <laughs> and that they flew in, more than half of them flew in from all over I, the country. Yeah, yeah, Hawaii yeah, was, was the furthest away, I think. Yeah. 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 So yes, that was exciting, but I will also pinpoint to Matthew's point and your point together that it was at Doyle's that I was like, we're making something that means something to people. Yeah. yeah. Not that this is you know what I mean? Not, not, yeah. Like something that means something to people. And then it just sort of changed everything for me. That's why it was so important to me that we never missed a week for so long. You know, it took, uh, my almost dying during COVID with my <laughs> my bursitis that turned into a bad reaction and medication to liver damage. Like, we got to miss a week. And then it's like, all right, good. The streak's over. But like, it was so important to me because one, I remember before we even started a podcast, like Mark Marin, the godfather of podcasting at the time was like the two things. Uh, one of the two things is never miss a week because that consistency is one thing that'll put you in the top 1% of podcasts. Never miss a week. And, and, and of course we did uh, eventually have to take some time and, and it was better for our mental health health overall uh but it, i think we're so much even pre-covid certainly during covid and now in this quote-unquote post-covid era there's so much uncertainty the fact that we could always deliver something even if you didn't like the app every single week that consistency always meant so much i think it was to critical to establishing ourselves mm-hmm. at, at, if nothing else just knowing that once once we had like established that kind of credibility then it's just like, okay, you know, you can, you can take a week off or two here and there, but that's always going to be our last choice. Mm-hmm. You know? So it's Mark Maron. I have to write to. Yes. To say <laughs> you might've ruined. I can't, I can't, you know, stupid. Life. He used to live like a few blocks from that's here. True. Yeah. I ran into him on the subway one time. Did you tell him that he inspired us? It was before we started. Oh, damn it. it was actually really funny. I like, I saw him on the subway <laughs> and I won't get into this whole thing, but I, I saw him on the subway <laughs> and I thought I knew why he was there. And I, it turns out I didn't, but I was just like, oh, should, should I talk to him? It's just like, nah, don't bother him. And so, uh, we both got out, we both happened to get off at uh, 59th street and I was just like, Oh, there he goes. I guess, well, there goes my chance. But we both went up, uh, opposite ends of the same staircase and I saw him on the landing. I was just like, oh, okay. So like, I was like, I didn't know. I came up behind him. I like tapped him on the shoulder. He's like, ah, he like jumped and like turned around, <laughs> fell down the stairs. Cracked his head. <laughs> I was like, I was like blood <laughs> pouring out everywhere. Was, oh my God. And oh. NYPD oh comes running over. You ran away. And this is like 2003. I could have destroyed podcasting oh. before it even started. The I, glass cannon multiverse. And, uh, and, and, and I did I said, excuse me, you're Mark Marin, right? He was just like, yeah. And I realized I didn't have a follow-up. So we just stared at each other for a second. He's like, what's your name? <laughs> I'm so sorry. But we had a really nice talk like after that. But I was just like, I was so embarrassed. What's uh, your name? Uh, yeah, what's your name? <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're, you're a, a big man, right? boy. Yeah. It's like as if, he, as if he owes you money or something. Yeah, yeah, or you're about to be or you're a I know, it's like I felt so bad. Like I, I clearly frightened him so badly. And I felt so bad. You should have served him with papers. Yeah. Man, right? Well, this is from your ex wife. Yeah. <laughs> See you in court. See you in court, sir. <laughs> well, you know, even though this story is going to come to an end, uh, you know, we're going to keep producing stuff. Uh, Glass Cannon 1.5 is happening next week. Uh, and then 2.0 will be happening uh, in the future. And there's a lot to be excited about uh, from the network. But the network all began with this podcast. Mm-hmm. And now. It is time to end this story. So we will begin today's story 
by ending the overall story and jumping one last time into the old imagination copter. Tickets, please! <laughs> Tickets! It's getting a little rickety, that copter. <laughs> we went to the sphere a few episodes ago. Yep. We, we, we tucked the spear away, put it into storage, put the tarp over the sphere, but I uh, got the keys to the copter today, and we're taking her out for taking one last out. The Huey, as they call it. Imagination! <laughs> Imagination! So they already came out with a new model of this Huey, but we're still on the old one. We're still on the old one. We love a good classic. We're going to hop in the copter and we're going to take it where copters go. The sky. <laughs> where eagles there. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, on circle tours of Manhattan yes. Island? <laughs> Going around. This is the Statue of Liberty. <laughs> we are going to take it to the sky. And so you should imagine endless sky. So close to the clouds, it looks like you can just pluck them out of the air, put them in your pocket. And for a moment, all is calm until suddenly we see a figure just fall through the air. Now we pan back, and from a distance, we watch as this small body just twists and turns, plummeting downward at an incredible speed. We close in on the figure and and see them struggling to regain their composure as they're hurtling toward their death. They compact their body into a ball and try to regain control and then burst their limbs out and suddenly take flight, now going up and against gravity. Their view shifts from the open sky ahead of them and the ground thousands of feet below to an inverted cone made of rock connected to a giant floating castle. Adriel Ashby. There he is! (laughs) Flies against these 50, 60, 70 mile an hour wind currents. His robes just... Flapping behind him toward the bottom of the castle, where he spies an open propulsion duct just beneath the base. He presses his arms to his side to cut down on wind resistance and points his legs as he darts towards the duct. The speed with which he darts inside allows him to cut through the windstorm within, and he enters what appears to be a labyrinthine maze of passageways deep below the castle. Adriel, ever vigilant as Grant has always played him, reaches down and notices the dust has been disturbed very recently. Perhaps within hours, many people were down here, as well as other creatures, larger creatures. He continues making his way through the ducks, following these footsteps until he senses a great battle took place here recently. There is a pool of blood near an intersection of the ducks, still fresh, and warm to the touch. With caution, he continues walking until he turns a corner and spies what looks like the giant exoskeleton of a spider. (gasps) From far away, Adriel waves his hands, but senses no life coming from the creature. Slowly, he moves toward it, detecting strong magics surrounding it until he is face-to-face, staring through the dull eyes of the dead spider to see a magical glass bead within a six-inch diameter globe, faintly glowing with a single light. 
Looking beyond, he sees that it's connected to another globe, slightly larger, that swirls with a glowing green substance, the likes of which Adriel has never seen. He is no alchemist. But in that moment, he understands the power of what lies before him. He looks up to the ceiling, up to the heavens, where moments ago his companion, Sir Will, was thrown from the back of the great red dragon, Noximara, looks up through the ceiling where, presumably, his other allies are doing all they can to stop the storm tyrant from enacting his plans for world domination. And then he looks back to the bomb. He then backs up about ten paces or so and sits on the floor. As he's done countless times before, he reaches into his robes and pulls out two candles, placing them to either side of him. With a snap of his fingers, both candles flicker and burn. Staring ahead of him, he reaches out his hands so that they're just above the flames. Then he closes his eyes and takes a long, deep breath. From there, we travel back in time, back outside the walls of good old True Now, <laughs> where we see a lone figure approaching the main gate on horseback. After a chat with the guards, he's allowed through. The gates of True Now open to reveal a young Baron Redheart. Riding into the inner quarter of True Now, taking it all in for the first time. He walks through the streets and gets mostly friendly looks. Maybe we see a bit of a snarl on Baron's lip at the unusual number of half orcs milling about his natural enemy. As he's trotting through the streets, he passes by a sanctuary. And a voice calls out to him. It appears you've come a long way, adventurer. Baron looks in the direction of the voice and sees an old, half-orc man sitting on a bench. Weeping sores and scars cover his face, along with burn marks. And it appears as if he's blind. Baron takes a drag from his cigarillo that's in his mouth, <laughs> blows out one half, and then kind of rotates it from one end of his mouth to the other and says, as a matter of fact, I have. But how do you know that? Although I lost my eyes long ago, my sight has never been better. I am Katresra, and this city is now my home. What brings you to true now, young dwarf. Nothing in particular. I'm, uh, just passing through. Hmm. Yes. Leaving a place of familiarity, no doubt, to walk an uncertain road. I have trod that path as well. May I be so bold as to ask what it is you seek? Frankly, uh, I don't know. I was asked that right before I left. I reckon uh, that's what I'm trying to figure out. Seems here's as good a place as any to figure that out. Yes. True now is a great place to start an adventure. 
The hills within these walls have seen much over the years. Imagine Baron just looks around, takes it all in, and sees a, a pyre along the southern rocky tip of the main hill of Trunau ablaze. Ah, yes, that is the flame of the fallen. When a citizen of Trunau is killed by one of the orc hordes in the olds of Balkson, our soldiers risk their lives to recover the bodies so that the enemy cannot turn them into skeletal mockeries. We burn the bodies in that flame. During times of siege, the pyre stays lit to give courage to the defenders and strike fear into the hearts of our enemies. It's not lost to Baron at this point either that Katrezra seems uh, like he's blind. And the fact he's able to sense that Baron saw that and tell him about it without a word being shared between them freaks him out a little bit. Yeah, like when you first came in, you saw him and he... You thought maybe he was blind, you didn't want to presume, but as you start talking with him and looking at him, it's it's clear that whatever has happened to his face here has also taken his sight away. So you imagine that's pretty creepy that, one, he knows you're a dwarf, two, he knows what you're looking at as you're taking in the city. But in a world of magic and the divine taking place there, that is unusual at first, and then Baron accepts it, and he just kind of takes in everything and says... This place doesn't look under siege to me, though. Uh, Not much of anything really going on. No, but two members of the militia were found dead last night, about a mile outside of town. Torn, limb from limb. Yeah, well, what, what do you expect from orcs? They're monsters. Well, while that prejudice will win you many friends here and true now, it was no orcs that killed those men. There are great evils in this world beyond either of our comprehension. It is seen. <laughs> wow. <laughs> your chill runs up your spine, the wind picks up as he says that, and you don't know now the significance of that. I don't even know if Baron at the end of 325 knows the significance of it is seen. Mm-hmm. But something in the way he says that shakes you. Grant liked it, and whenever Grant can <laughs> refer to himself in the third person, I consider that a good day. <laughs> it's a win. Um, or Grant does, I should say. Um, yeah, and I think to Baron for the first time, he's talking to a half orc. Yeah. That is insightful. Magical can see beyond, you know, human sight, um, humanoid sight anyway. And he kind of feels bad for the first time that he said, like, look at those orcs, look at what they do. He's yeah. like, realizing. Uh, but it, it still hasn't set in yet. All right, old man. Well, uh, I appreciate the heads up. Didn't mean any offense, neither. Um, I'm, I'm just looking for a chance to do something, some good maybe. Well, I hope you find it, um, Mr. Redheart. Baron Redheart. Ah, well, good luck, Mr. Redheart. May you discover what it is you seek, and may your flame burn as bright as Trunau's. Maybe Baron nods, tips his cap. Throws his cigarillo at his face. <laughs> Douses him in a, in a flask of whiskey. Yeah, like, throws him on top of the pyre in the distance. Catches the cigarillo. Um, trots along. Uh, why did he do that? <laughs> Seemed like things are going well. I guess I found my life's calling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> and you trot through Trunau and we fade out of there and then we find ourselves once again it's been a little while back in Osirian inside of the chamber where the first Pudir was tasked with recording all that his brother Farzadir saw when he walked through time. That same pyramid, that same chamber where Brander would accidentally kill his brother Farzadir, and the same chamber where Brander would purposely kill one of Pudir's descendants. This pyramid was clearly a a, a central monument in the druidic circle that took in the three children that came from the Council of Thorns when they made the ultimate sacrifice. Feyraza came from this circle, as did the Pudir that Lork killed in the streets, whose family tried to run away but could not run away from fate even when they left Osirian for the inner sea. Now in this chamber, we see Galabras, Gormley, and who we've begun to call behind the scenes, Silver Tusk. It's an internal designation. It's an internal designation, <laughs> but I love it. Uh, and just walking about this room, staring at all of the scenes depicted on the walls. There is so much recorded in this massive chamber. You see scenes depicting the rise and fall of Tarbafon, the Whispering Tyrant. You see scenes depicting Earthfall, <laughs> sort of Big Bang Theory of Galarian that created the Inner Sea region. You see moments showing how the star stones impact on the atmosphere blotted out the sun and brought on the Age of Darkness. You see Aridin, the last Cislanti, his birth and humble beginnings, his ascension to godhood, and his death and disappearance that shook the world. But you also see images depicting so many moments from your own lives and the lives of all the people that have been a part of your story. And before Brander left you here in, what was that, 300? Is that 300 that we... Yeah. uh, I think it was. Mm -hmm. Before he left you here, he was still recording moments, clearly taking over where Pudir and Farzadir left off when their lines ended. I imagine weeks have passed since he left you here. And you've just been looking at this great puzzle, trying to determine what Brander's next move will be, where he will go, and when. Because the master of time has decided that to truly master it, he must end it. So... You've been studying this, looking at all these moments, and it's like a beautiful mind type thing. Maybe you've got your, or like Pepe Silvia, for you always sunny fans out there, just like (laughs) lines, threads, trying to connect everything, connect the dots between these. What, What have you been doing to try and suss this out between the three of you? You're so powerful at this point. You're all kind of beyond life in many ways. Silver Tusk is the one most grounded to our reality, while Gormley and Galabras have seen things in other realms. What are you doing to try and figure out 
what Brander's move is. I think at one point, Galabras sort of removes himself from the conversation and just sits upon the ground with his legs crossed and maybe maybe even for days just sits there motionless uh, with his eyes closed until ultimately his eyes open or no his eyes don't open he stands and he moves closer to the images and he like places three fingers from his right hand on his butterfly tattoo on his chest like lowers his head in thought and then he lifts his head and now his eyes do open and looking at him from the distance like you they just look like milky just like no pupil if you look closer you see it actually looks like storm clouds <laughs> like and where his eyes would be and he reaches out his outward palm of his left hand sort of almost scanning it over all these images and basically like he has been accessing this shard of pure divine power that has been granted him by Desna a bit of her own essence has been imbued inside him and he accesses it to see many many ends and he's able he's making the attempt to focus down on the one most likely to where he might be about Gormley I mean Gormley doesn't really exist on the material plane anymore right she's, she's kind of transcended I like the I like the idea that Gilabras just sits there for days mm. as that happened Gormley just kind of time has very little meaning to her anymore she has no physical form to you know maintain mm. and I just like to think she t- goes through each one of these pictograms and just stares at it and takes it in like she like she's the like, like she's in an art museum just kind of staring right. and staring and staring into it and then she's kind of like hovers over to the next one and just stares at it and takes it all and absorbs it and then just moves to the next one very systematically goes through each and every single one of them in the room you know just taking her time just trying to absorb as much information as possible yeah she doesn't get tired and like oh, I need a break my eyes hurt yeah. <laughs> so like let me go take let me go step step away for a minute and come back to this puzzle with, with a new set of fresh eyes and she's pure essence man she's just like, <laughs> she just keeps at it oh I love that what about Silver Tusk? Hmm. I think he's the most. It's just so bizarre to say, but I think he's the most grounded of the three, at least at this <laughs> point in terms of his like existence in the regular world as a uh, flesh and blood uh, person who was reincarnated. Sure, but it was a you know. <laughs> hundreds and hundreds of years ago, so that's not something that's new to him. His second reincarnation. Yeah, his second reincarnation. Exactly. You're welcome, by the way. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> Did I ever say thank you? <laughs> you uh, never said thank you. <laughs> Glad you got it in. Not a car. I had a lot going on. <laughs> what the money is for? <laughs> <laughs> I think he is, um, a part of it is through the symbols. He has a ludicrous, absolutely ludicrous 
perception of reality, uh, his ability to sense things are, are in his area. What's it, his perception? Bon? If he really puts his focus into it, it's plus 39. <laughs> so it's, it's ridiculous. He can be super, super focused. And um, he, and a, a, a part of that bonus comes from the template of Reincarnated Druid. Like it is part of the oh, archetype's cool. bonus oh, wow. is that he can turn on this like prescience kind of uh, at times. I think he uses that partially with the symbols themselves. I think that he is so well-traveled and also is cognizant of the fact that he knows things he doesn't understand, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Mm-hmm. That, like, he's looking for familiarity in the symbols that he can't explain, but that almost feel like an emotion, right? Like, it's something that would connect. And then outside of the symbols, I think while Galabras is doing this for days then, he needs to go and eat and sleep and all that kind of stuff. And I think during that time, he's doing a combination of leaving the pyramid entirely and just like maybe flying over the area as a bird, just mm. like as a wild shaped, um, looking for uh, any signs of anything, you know, in the, in the outer areas. And then ultimately when he has that meditation time and can rest and prepare properly, I think he is doing greater scrying searching Mm. for brander so if it's not going to be these pieces of the puzzle maybe if he's on this plane i could just find him like i have done before you know with scrying when in moments of brander's weakness when he's distracted and he fails his save uh maybe i could see a a flash of him for a moment so uh he's trying to do that looking up greater scrying so it's it functions like normal scrying but it also allows you to detect alignment or detect magic or a message like send a message yeah or you can talk t- through the tongues. scrying yeah you can also uh i think you can also like understand like comprehend languages and stuff like that through the scrying mm-hmm. you can cast a spell right through it so anyway that's cool so i, I just imagine these three Heavyweights at this point, with so much invested in 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 the search for what Brander's plan is. Now that he's laid it out to you in no uncertain terms, like you're so tuned into this, and I love this idea that you wild shape and fly around because this is also the area where he spent his childhood, where he was reared and trained in his abilities. You know, he was an infant when he was taken away from. Uh, the Council of Thorns uh, in the Inner Sea. So maybe there are clues outside as well. And so over the course of what seems like weeks, you feel as if you know the when and the where, but not the how. And so you think... Sorry, the when and the where of where he intends to stop Where he time. intends to do this, yes. Okay. Um, but not the how. Or how you're going to stop him. You don't really know what you're up against. But you do, and again, this is just in, in taking in what Galabras is doing, communicating with Desna, the goddess of luck, uh, Gormley just having all the time in the world to look at this. And in many ways, uh, Gormley was the maestro of all of this because you're the one that spoke to Lork on the fucking uh, 
what was that? The what plane? The boneyard. Boneyard. The boneyard. It's like this way, and then you're the one that did it with glamour. So. And then you have the power here grounded to this and the most wrapped up hundreds of years uh, chasing Brander in a way. You know that he's planning something in the holds of Belkson Hmm. in an area north of the Skitter Mounds and south of a monument known as the Sleeper. I want you to go to roll 20 uh, real quick here and I have this... uh, clip that I've pulled from this ama- have you ever been on the interactive map of Galarian it's like a Google Maps of oh, yeah. I can never get it to it's work been right for so me. long since I've looked at it but yeah it's there's really a couple cool. of them and this is the one that I think is better and so if you look like there's the skitter mounds over here to the west and then there's the sleeper and you see where true now is yeah and the kestrel Meeting the Esk, where Castle Farine is Freedom Town where Malira was from Urgear Oh, and then over there to the to the east you know, is Vigil and yeah, Lastfall. You know, yeah. I always thought when we started this adventure that we were going to see this shit, and I'm super bummed we never did because <laughs> yeah. they really play it up in the player's guide, like the holds of Belks and the holds of. Bel- I really the, thought we didn't. The first thing you do is leave the holds of Belks. <laughs> I know, I know. It should also be. It must be said whenever we bring up Urgear that it used to be the Sky Citadel Koldukar. Yes. Yep. So Cold cool Ducar. that it fell and became this other thing. The former. Dwarven city of Kolduka. I like to believe that we've done more for True Now in this adventure than any other adventuring party <laughs> because it's really not written that way. Um, but it's become such a, a symbol um, for for our story. And so you, you've determined that something is happening in that area. And that's like the space between the Skitter Mounds and this monument known as the Sleeper. It's probably about 80 miles. So it's a, it's a Dude, huge space. This is amazing. <laughs> this is making me, this is giving me serious Indiana Jones vibes now because it's like the... The union of the symbols is pointing to a geographic location. Yeah. And it's like, it's just like, Alexandra. Alexandra, of course. Uh, I'm seeing like how we're putting these pieces together and it's a geographic location and it's right on, I mean, for Silvermane, that is like, it's right under his nose. Yeah. That is yeah. his home. Those are his hunting grounds. That's where he goes flying around watching the orc movements and stuff for, for Trunal, you know? Yeah, you spent a long time hanging out in that area. Uh, for those of you who aren't looking at a map, the Skitter Mounds are just northwest of uh, Trunal. Uh, you see that area marked Skull Hill? Yeah. There, the just, just to the north of Trout. So the Skitter Mounds are this, it's a hilly area that even the orcs don't hang out in that much because it's rumored to be full of Ankeg nests. Mm. And there's a lost fortress somewhere in the Skitter Mounds known as Skull Hill. People think it's in that general area. And the story behind Skull Hill is there was this sorceress named uh, Akila, and she lived with this wealthy Osirian merchant who came over uh, from Osirian to settle in the holds of Belkson. And this goes back to like the Chelliest expansion conquest like known as the Everwar. 44 yeah, AR. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. early, early hmm. uh, Galarian. And legend says that when Akila died a ring that her husband uh, had given her, this Osirian husband, released powerful necromantic energy into the world. 
And people think, like, if you find that ring, you could do terrible things if you ever found the actual ring, because her death alone unlocked this uh, energy. The Sleeper, the second monument, uh, or second area, it's an enormous mountain with a huge sculpture of a dragon wrapped around its entirety. So the the monument is built around an actual mountain and steam emanates from its mouth to this day and people believe it's because deep within the heart of the mountain uh, on which it was built is the entrance into Zin Gatash, the uh, Gastash, the Thessalonian realm of gluttony. So there are chambers you can like go in the mouth. The mouth is as big as a house. You can go in and go inside and maybe find this lost city, but nobody fucking goes there because it's cursed. One of the best sins, by the way, gluttony. I got to get in on some more. Of yeah, that. that's yeah. a good one. <laughs> so you, you you've gotten to the point now where you know something is happening there, and you know when it's happening in about nine days' time. But you don't know the exact location, and you have no idea what he's actually planning. I like to think that at a certain point during this time, maybe now you know. Yeah, now you know where this is happening and when. So you're biding your time, talking, making a plan. Um, And Gormley, from time to time, you notice uh, Silvermane keeps hanging out near certain images. Um, Certain images that all depict the same character uh, that of a young female maybe a half orc maybe a quarter orc not quite fully a half orc you might catch him just taking a finger and, and tracing it along the grooves of her outline on the wall and you know that image to be the image of Shiel as you spent time locked to her consciousness. So, you're watching this. And we'll we'll cut from there to a camp. Somewhere in the wilderness. And we see horse-drawn carriages, carts broken down for the evening, a bunch of people milling about the camp. Some are sitting at a fire, others are finishing setting up their tents for the night. And you see that a lot of them are wearing uh, iconography of Saren Ray. Some of the tents even have the symbol of Saren Ray on it. Exiting one of these tents is Shael. She kind of comes out and looks at everyone and smiles. And then out of the corner of her vision, she sees something glowing in the trees. To her right. We cut back to you, Gorms. And you're now somewhere else in the pyramid, like you've got away from where Galabras and Silvermane are, and you're alone in another room within the pyramid, reaching out across the world. We go back to Shiel. We see her walking towards this glow. It's a small green light. And now she reaches over to her sword belt and like puts her hand at the the hilt of her sword and just keeps walking towards this little green light. And then she turns and looks behind a bush 
where it's emanating and sees a tiny glowing apparition of a green sting scorpion. (laughs) Gormley, you have established a channel between yourself and Shiel. Rather than physically traveling that distance, you can speak to Shiel and how he will translate. <laughs> wow. 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 <laughs> Shiel, can you hear me? <laughs> oh, come on. I'm waiting for it. What's up, kid? What's up, kid? We are in a time of great emergency, and we need your help. The Celtics are down 2-1. <laughs> Two one. <laughs> we oh, got to see in the series. We got one game. Time's running out, <laughs> dude. Dude, dude. I'm here with someone. Someone I don't think you've ever met, but is a, an important fixture in your life. I have a cousin whose sister just got into Harvard. <laughs> that, isn't that also your cousin? <laughs> that may or may not be relevant. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> I just imagine Gormley must not be able to hear this translation. No, she imagines it's coming. She's like, this is going perfectly. Going so well. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't speak But perhaps I might be able to bridge a connection Between the two of you So that you may meet And he says He doesn't talk much But uh, He's special to you And he's sad <laughs> And she says You speak of my Father what what do you know of him? I thought that your connection to me was no longer active. That's correct. However, I did think in this moment, reforging that connection, if only for a few minutes. Don't worry about it. <laughs> what would you have me I forgot that I, she had an accent what would you what would you have me do I I am with my my people the people that I set out with long ago before we were captured by the frost giants we're we're making another go we're heading to Corvosa to the chapel of Sarenray to well, at least for me to figure out what my by purpose in this world is, but if you're telling me there's a chance to connect with this this man, I perhaps I shall abandon my my quest and follow you. This is all very confusing. What what would you have me do? Where would you have me go? We know that something is happening somewhere near the the Skitter Mounds and Skull Hill. We don't know exactly what or exactly where, exactly when. 
Perhaps if you meet us there, you might be able to meet this man. I'll text you the Google map <laughs> location. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> Can you meet us there? She looks at her iPhone and looks where she is. <laughs> she looks at the drop pin. She drops a pin and she drops a pin on her location. I I will I will leave at first light. I don't know if my calling is going to be found in Corvosa or not, but this seems like where I should go now. All right. Thank you, Shael. The fate of the world may be in your hands. I'll see you in nine days. <laughs> <laughs> and how he disappears. <laughs> see you on Patriot's Day. <laughs> on Patriot's see you Day. Patriot's Day. <laughs> Socks are at 11 a.m. <laughs> I don't under I don't understand. <laughs> I don't understand the references. Well, yeah, I don't understand anything that the scorpion just said. <laughs> he really didn't help translate yeah, the last yeah, word. And the thing is, like you, she could have cast comprehend languages and would still have no idea, no idea. because of the amount of colloquial references constantly being thrown out. It's like Shaka when the walls fell. It's just there's just no frame of reference. He had this really elaborate plan at the end. There was he was talking entirely in like situational metaphors. Yeah, it was all like he understood all the words he was saying in Star Trek <laughs> Next Generation, but it just could none of them put together made any sense to him at all. She just stares at Howie as he starts to disappear, and he says, The Square One Mall <laughs> is the best mall in Saugus. <laughs> and he disappears. <laughs> now that I understood. <laughs> we shall have to journey there. Saugus. <laughs> and so, there's <laughs> nothing worth going to Saugus. The best mall on the North Shore. <laughs> so the next morning, we see her... Uh, with with that same group of people, maybe they're breaking down their camp, and uh, Shiel is like building up courage to uh, to speak to all of them, and she she waits for a moment. It's like, excuse me, can I have all of your can I have all of your attention? I, uh, I know I've sort of taken on the role of the the leader of this group, but we are all uh, equals here, traveling to discover what it is that we are to do in this life. But I have to leave you all. A foul-mouthed scorpion came to me <laughs> in the night. And though I did not understand his words, I understood his meaning. And I know that this journey to the Temple of Saturn Ray and Corvosa is one that has been fraught with trials. All of us here know how the first attempt went. The tribulations we faced as chattel for those frost giants. But many of us survived and we thrived and we worked tirelessly to honor those we lost. That is why this second expedition is so important. And although I know all of these things, I have been called elsewhere. Now, I do not ask you to abandon your journey, but I must go my own way. And if Saren Ray or any of the gods see fit to help me to reach this destination, I hope that afterwards 
our roads may meet up again. And as she says this, there's like a hubbub amongst the other missionaries or whatever. And we see a a small figure step forward from the rest of the group. A small gnome. Ah, uh, yes. Yes, we do. <laughs> it's good old Nim-Nim. <laughs> Nim-Nim! <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Anyone who took the Nim Nim appearance at over point five is uh, psyched right now. Prop betting. Psyched. Prop betting. Oh god, that's hilarious. <laughs> Nim Nim, you step forward as everyone seems sort of lost with what to do. So, this is something I'm, I'm going to go into, like kind of what her backstory is. This is I'm not going to do it in character because I don't yeah. think that she would have. She doesn't have the loquaciousness to be able to even explain. This is all like kind of going through her head, like as she's remembering it, like standing up. Yeah. So Nim Nim, Nim Nim San San Bellamir Villano was the second daughter of a gnomish petty king uh, who had fallen on hard times, riddled with debt. She herself had always been written off as a halfwit among the gnomish community due to her speech problems and her crippling shyness. But she was absolutely doted upon and adored by her older sister, Sayananim. The king, her father, managed to secure a fortuitous marriage for Sayananim with the scion of a much wealthier noble family. And Sayana insisted that Nimnim form the mostly ceremonial role of captain of the queen's guard for the wedding ceremony. Uh, Nim Nim at this point had no business being on a battlefield and it was it was ceremonial so it wasn't uh, objected to unfortunately the new groom to be was an absolute monster he tormented and terrorized Nim Nim every time her sister was out of earshot he made it clear that her existence was an embarrassment and once he became king he would lock her away to prevent further indignity on his name and Nim Nim was too terrified of him to even tell her sister any of this, even in private. I, there was one scene like I had pictured where her sister Sayana is sort of uh, giving her gives puts the the ceremonial helmet on Nim Nim's head, and this oversized thing looks completely ridiculous on her tiny body, and she says something like, "I feel stupid." And she has no stutter when she's just with her sister alone. And her sister is just like, no, don't say that. Like, you, you are my hero, my little soldier. She gives her a big hug. The wedding was held on the southern outskirts of the Shutterwood in an ancient circle of standing stones, which was a place held in great reverence for gnomes on the primal plane. And the day leading up to it was bright and cheerful, although Nim Nim hated her helmet <laughs> that her office required her to wear and absolutely dreaded what was to become of her once the marriage had been completed. The laughter and songs of celebration were broken by screams as a band of marauding hill giants fell upon the party. A trembling, terrified Nim-Nim tried to come to her sister's defense, but was struck full force by a giant's club and sent flying far from the scene. And when she finally woke, she saw the carnage, dozens of gnomes dead, some half-eaten, any survivors carted away to an even worse fate. 
Lost, broken, and bereft of hope, she staggered off in the direction of the Tusk Mountains. For days after days, she forced herself to keep going, step after painful step, not really even knowing why. Finally, her exhaustion was too much, and she collapsed at the foot of the mountain. And she would have died there. Except that she was happened upon by an ancient creature. And, in fact, for those of you who have listened to Raiders of the Lost Continent, it is was one of the tortoise-like humanoids that saved Colonel Luther uh, when he was attacked by the demon. It's this ancient tortoise humanoid took pity on her, saw some special power deep inside of her. Oh, God, I actually, I had this whole scene, like, thought out, too. He was just going to come by and, like, kind of just see her, see her dying and just sort of take pity on her, but write her off and just, like, start leaving. So, 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 uh, and then, like, she was, like, stand up and, like, swing and he turned back to her and say, "She's like, well, little, little creature, what are you?" And she would say, "I am a s- soldier." <laughs> and he would say, he would see the promise in her, and he was just like, "Well, little soldier, there is some strength deep within you." Let us see if we can find it together. And so he takes her to his hermitage, like on top of the mountain. And over the next several years... Training montage. He trains her. <laughs> he trains her. Like, he else happens to be, like, he's, you know, countless thousands of years old. He happens to be, like, the greatest expert in martial arts on the entire planet. And he teaches <laughs> her as a student uh, for many years... And she finally finds herself under his tutelage. Like, she, she finds a way to this, this confidence and purpose, like, under, under him. Like, as she, as she learns, like, this, these martial arts. He eventually dies of old age. She's left alone again. And at this point, she's just hopeless. Like, she has nothing left. And she wanders off into Belkson, just giving herself up to the bleaching. And... When Skirkatla's soldiers captured her, she didn't even resist. And that's where we met her. Wow. So she didn't have, like, a Saren Ray background or anything like that? No, no. Oh. So this is what's going on. Um, So what she wants to say is that I'm, you know, all this has happened to me. You, this group has given me purpose again. She can't quite find it in herself. And every time, like, she's not, like, fighting in fighting mode you can see her she just shrinks and she's just like she's holding like one arm with other hand she can't look anyone in the eye she's just like her her eyes are like cast downward she's awkward like she can she can barely like walk without stumbling she's so unsure of herself um but she pulls herself up and she she sort of looks furtively at the crowd she says like I will do it you will come with me Nim Nim she just nods. Christ. Why? Why would you risk your life to come with me? You don't even know where I'm going. Hell, I don't even know where I'm going. And she looks, she gets like red as she's trying to express herself as to why she wants to do this. 
and you can see her like her mouth is moving like she wants to form words and she just she just stops and she just looks at the ground says like I want to fight Chayal smiles knowing that she won't have to take this long journey into nowhere alone and the people around Nim Nim sort of one by one offer themselves as well like I want to go I'm going to go too and I'm going to go seeing Nim Nim's strength they all one by one decide to go with Shiel finding hope in her and not the destination so Shiel smiles and then once again we enter the ducks below Iron Cloud Keep. I'm so glad that happened. I just was imagining <laughs> Shao was going to walk away and then like once she was like, I don't know, a good mile away, just a monster was going to set upon the rest of her party. Small, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all of them. We enter the, the ducks below Iron Cloud Keep again and you don't know how much time has passed just winding around those corners until we see the back of the bomb housed within the exoskeleton of the giant spiders who are coming from the other direction. And we we push uh, past and, and even through the bomb, seeing all of the connected elements of this thing through the thorax, the abdomen, and the head until we exit the other side and see beyond it where... Adriel Ashpeak had sat down to enter his deep meditation. The fires by his hands still burn bright, but Adriel looks different. He's so deep into meditation, what you can discern of him is he looks almost frozen. You can't even see breath anymore. His skin has taken on a a different hue and texture, even. It looks like it's hard. It kind of looks like he's rotting from the inside out, and that's what you would think if it weren't for the faintest bit of of a shimmer or a shine to his otherwise altered skin. we leave there and we come back to where we ended episode 325 with <laughs> the sound of explosions and chunks falling off of the castle as that bomb that was connected to the cloud diadem that Volsus was wearing mm-hmm. has exploded the dead man's switch the dead man's switch had you explored the lower areas of that tower below the cathedral, you would have found plans for the bomb. Olcraft oh. is the one that created it for Volstice. You would oh. find the plans and all of this and that. It would give you bonuses to try and uh, disarm it. But, uh, like, 
why did we avoid that area? It was timing. You guys were making such good time. It was like, why are we going downstairs? We gotta get out of here because they were chopping the chain, and so you ran. Um, oh, down. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah below yeah. that tower, you guys flew to the top and fought them on the artillery, and then you started going down, and that was with the Sir the chain, Sir Darlene of the chainsaw. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, she had a husky. I think a husky chainsaw. <laughs> <laughs> Lifetime warranty on that thing. Chainsaw, what yeah. a ridiculous game we're playing. Uh, that was one of the dumber ones. But yeah. without those plans, it was so difficult that even Nestor, like, we were like, this is too risky of a procedure. Oh, yeah. Right? One mistake, and it just, you were all wiped out. Boop, boop. Yeah, maybe Metro would be able to get away with an ether step, but you see now the destruction that that explosion is causing, and and Renfall has stopped uh, playing his harp, and he's like, we have very little time. <laughs> <laughs> we magics. Why am I laughing? This is no. This is serious. Your magics may allow you a chance to get away unscathed. Zephyr Hall, hall that I built, <laughs> crashing to the ground, could cause enough casualties to rival Volstice's reign had he succeeded. Listen, you fools. We must reactivate the Citadel's magical engine backup system. And it must be done quickly. Listen, shut up. <laughs> head, to the, head to the foundation block with all haste. You must have encountered it earlier. And you remember that, that room that had the blocks that you guys had done magic device checks on, I think. And you're the like, different oh. symbols? Yeah, yes. And words written. We not 20 the shit out of it. Yeah. The shit out of it. So you know exactly what he's talking about, and you know how to control it. And he says, as Volstice focused on the battle, he stopped steering the castle. Those blocks must first be realigned to the cardinal points. And the each of you touch a block and then pronounce east, south, west, and north in that order in giant, and it will realign the balance. Do all of you speak fluent giant this deep into the adventure? No. No. Oh, I do not. Fuck! <laughs> can we just can we just slow down and can you maybe acknowledge the fact that we avenged your death you have but you're all going to die if this castle crashes and even if you survive imagine the countless lives that will be lost when a huge fucking castle hits their town you selfish fool <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, Metro wants like an award ceremony <laughs> while we're plummeting to the ground. I, can, I just think we need to avoid catastrophizing the situation. <laughs> you must speak the language of your enemy, yes? I've learned a word here or there enough to get us through, I think. All right, tell your friends what north, south, east, and west are in giant. Go to the foundation block and do that. Then meet me in the engine room. Hopefully it's still there. And then together 
we will use all our power to try and direct the landing of this castle. No, this impact is inevitable, but hopefully we can direct it away from the innocent. You may not survive, but you'll have saved the lives of thousands. And that's the end of part one. Oh. You are parting it <laughs> up. We're parting it up. I knew you were going to part it up. That's as good a place as any. <laughs> I need water. <laughs> Cause light. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Glass Cannon Network. For more podcasts and live streams, visit GlassCannonNetwork.com. And for exclusive shows and content you can't find anywhere else, subscribe today at Patreon.com slash GlassCannon. The Glass Cannon Podcast is a Glass Cannon Network production and is an officially licensed partner of Paizo Incorporated. Giant Slayer is copyright 2015. Giant Slayer and the Pathfinder Adventure Path are trademarks of Paizo. All Pathfinder images are property of Paizo and are used with permission. 